on Being and Becoming, a podcast where Vivek and I, Jeannie, as professional coaches, explore aspects of being human, particularly in the modern Indian context, through the lens of coaching, a profession dedicated to human growth and development. Hi, this is Ginny. Hi, this is Vivek. Um, so, in our uh, last episode, we had uh, agreed that uh, next time we'll take up leadership as a topic of a discussion. So, what Ginny and I decided was that instead of going broad, why don't we pick something particular about leadership and talk more deeply about that. So, um, we've decided to um, discuss the concepts of authenticity and presence for a conversation today. Why this as a concept? You know, in our meetings, in our, in our interactions with, uh, with our business world, um, we find that these two words, authenticity and presence, are, are getting a, a lot of mind space. You know, um, there's a lot of buzz around these two words. So I think it'll be useful if we talk in some detail about um, what, what they mean and what does it mean to be developed around um, these two as concepts. Um, and I think it is it is uh, com- complex, um, and we're hoping to address much of that um, today. Um, so you know, questions like, um, is there an authentic self, and um, how do we know we're being authentic, and does it really matter? And similarly with presence, um, you know, what does presence mean, and how can we develop our presence? Ginny, um, what do you make of this as a topic? Vivek, I'm really uh, challenged by the topic. That's why I'm finding it very exciting and interesting to be in a conversation with you about this. Um, what I'm really hoping to achieve is that you know we can gain some depth of understanding because, like you just mentioned, um, as coaches, we are invited to come and help leaders with uh, expressing themselves more authentically. We are invited to come and help leaders with their leadership presence. Leadership presence has come to be a you know um, a common coaching topic that we are called in for to um, help organizations with, and uh, I feel that there is uh, you know with some words like innovation and excellence and integrity, the more they are used, the more they seem to have lost their original meaning, or, or more diverse their meanings have become, and so I think it'll be great for people to get. Um, a deeper sense of what does it mean to be authentic? What does it mean to have leadership presence? And I think for that, we may have to break through some of the clutter around these words, some of the misconceptions around around these words. So I'm really excited uh, to be having this conversation today because, it, like I said earlier, I think it challenges me as well. Yeah, yeah. So. Um... You know, since since the word has taken the, these two words have taken on a life of their own, um, what if we begin to attempt to um, try and define what authenticity means? Vivek, before we do that, I think I'd like to dip into the challenge around authenticity. Like, what's the technical challenge around authenticity, and why is it becoming important to go deeper around this word? I think. In the pursuit of understanding something, I find it useful to consider the history of its development. 
And if we look at authenticity as a construct, as a concept, uh, it appears to have emerged from and is in some ways a product of the social and cultural development in the West, where without going into too much of detailed historical accounts, in the West, the individual liberty and autonomy, the individual self has come to be almost the essential condition of a good society. And so there has been tremendous focus on how an individual shows up in the world and that this individual should show up as his or her true self or their authentic self. And this has come to be a virtuous goal to pursue, to be true to oneself, to be authentic. So at its essence, authenticity has come to mean being true to oneself. And today we have folk psychology, popular psychology, preaching to us through forwarded messages, social media memes and self-help articles to be more authentic, to be true to our real self. And often when we are talking to friends about our troubles, the most common advice being given to us is, go on, just be yourself. Now there are technical difficulties with that. And that is that in response to just be yourself, one can ask which self? My rational self, my unconscious self, my creative self, my feeling and emotional self, which self is my real self? And we can all recollect examples of people we know who in very different circumstances, in very different contexts, do show up with their different selves. So there is this unconquerable question, which is, what is this self? And our sense of self emerges from our consciousness, but consciousness itself remains one of the biggest mysteries to us. Our brain cells, our body cells have regenerated several times over since we were born. Are we the same selves that we were born? <laughs> because we've regenerated several times over. Then we have the spiritual perspective. The spiritual gurus have propounded that self is an illusion. There are some who say that self is a unfolding story we tell ourselves. So what is this self? Be true to which self? And we still don't have an evidence-based theory that has been agreed upon by majority of the scholars of what is this self? Um, what does it mean to be true to yourself? So that's really the challenge here. And that's what I'm calling going deep into this topic. Um, and we may not have the answers, but it seems to me from what I've described that we can't have this unquestioning acceptance and pursuit of the ideal of being authentic. We can't just unquestioningly be telling people, be authentic, be yourself, that we do need to go beyond it. And so I've, I've been on a monologue, Vivek. I think I've highlighted some theoretical, psychological, and philosophical challenges with the idea of authenticity. But it would be good to hear from you. What are you making of it from a practitioner's point of view? We are practitioners. We are not academicians, really. From a practitioner's point of view, how might you be making sense of this? Yeah, you've uh, outlined the challenge really well, and I was taking notes, and I think um, in my understanding, um, there were three very clear points of challenge you made. One is that there's this, you know, pop psychology of just be yourself, but then which self does it really refer to? Um, and then you, you talked about the virtuous goal, especially in the Western construct of just, you know, being true to oneself. and 
if we're not being that all the time, then does that make us any less virtuous? Um, and you know, the, the spiritual perspective of if the self is an illusion, then what are we chasing here? So uh, yeah, you know, we're practitioners. You know, we're not uh, academicians and philosophers. So the world, the the work we do in the world is about um, offering something tangible and substantial for people to have more uh, developed and meaningful lives. So in the service of that, um, I think um, a, a way to look at this is to draw a distinction between the essential self and the evolving self. Um, let's talk about the evolving self. So that um, refers to how we are ongoingly being shaped by circumstances of life and hence who we are uh, keeps changing to a certain degree throughout our lives. And it's useful to remain curious about that. Um, that's the evolving self. The essential self um, can refer to the part of us which in some ways is the essence of who we are and here essence could be looked upon either as a few qualities a person has or certain values which that person embodies and lives through um, essentially in who they are being. Um, and, you know, we can look around at people we know well and try and see, is there something essential about this person? And it's usually possible to them at least one or two such qualities or values. Um, you know, some, some, some examples can be, let's say, someone who essentially is loyal to friends or someone who shoulders responsibility and that is part of their essence no matter what they're up to. Or someone who has a love for nature someone with a scientific outlook, um, someone who has a poet's heart. Um, and these aren't frozen as, as qualities or values, but I think they, they find a way in their substance to create new forms as we encounter life. But at the essence, there's something which is ongoingly there. Hence, authenticity could be looked upon as do we know what this essential self for us is? And is there a way to live it more in the way we show up? Yeah, Vivek, I think the, the practitioner's view that you have developed uh, is exactly that. You know, when you formulate it like that, when you articulate it like that, it seems that through the clutter, the philosophical clutter, the psychological doubt about the self, the historical development, I think you found a way through, break through those, that cloud and come with a way of approaching authenticity that is, that can be practiced when we look at ourselves in the way that there is an essential self and there is an evolving self. And as poetic as it sounds, I think it's also very practical. Um, and you know, as I was listening to you, it was I was I was connecting with uh, my essential self and my evolving self, and I can see that although when I'm in my hometown, I have a different side of me that comes out, 
um, when I'm in work uh, meetings, there is a different Ginny there. And when I'm with my friends, there is a different quality to Ginny there. But uh, through all these contexts, there are some essential um, qualities to me that are um, ever present. You know, my, my, one of my core um, features is that aesthetics and beauty in whatever way form, whether it's literature, whether it's art, whether it's the clothes I wear, whether it's my home, whether it's the outside beauty, it's some, there's something very attractive about beauty and aesthetics for me. And wherever I may be in the world, whichever social context I may be in, that's something that I, I attempt at preserving. And that's something that always continues to have almost this um, powerful influence on me. And so as I was listening to you, I could connect that there is this essential self to me that's enduring in different contexts. I like that. And I think authenticity, true authenticity might mean um, making an uh, intimate acquaintance with that essential self. You know, I've, you know that I have never been to your home, but um, you know, when, you, when you say that aesthetics matter to you and there's something about beauty which is part of um, how you see your essential self, I mean, if I were to visualize your home, automatically I think I, I want to assume that it's just very inviting in a beautiful way, so hopefully that will happen at some day. Um, and yes, you know, um, we have to, um, in our coaching practice, um, in what, what we want to encourage is for people to come in more in contact with this essential self. And with some people, like I think with you, um, aesthetics and beauty, it's, at least for me, it's easy to, to see that and to know that about you. So with some people, this, this, this essence may be very boldly and obviously there. But with others, um, you know, it may be perhaps a tiptoe or a whisper, and one has to be really um, in contact with oneself to know what this essential self is. I think this is an example of a facet of my essential self that is in some way mildly neutral and mildly positive. Uh, having said that, there are also facets of my essential self that are let's say, not so neutral. For example, I have observed and reflected that irrespective of where I find myself in the world, I carry a voice in my head that can be too critical of both others and myself. Um, I end up holding others and myself to some very high standards of idealism. Um, I I know where it comes from, and I'm not going to go into that right now. But in becoming a coach, my evolving self has managed to tame it to a large extent. But it is constant work to not let this critical self take the better of me. And, and this critical self has been the source of some anguish in my life. Um, but I guess what I'm really saying is that our essential selves are enduring features that have the good, the bad, and the ugly aspects of us. And it behooves us to get to know our essential selves intimately to discover true authenticity there. Yeah, that's a very important concept you're naming that um, 
who we are at our essence isn't some version of a scrubbed and rinsed and squeaky clean, pure golden self. <laughs> um, you know, we're human and and in our humanity, like you said, you know, uh, there are various shades, you know, the entire uh, spectrum of colors is there. Yeah. One of the mandates, and this might be a moral position that I'm taking, but one of the mandates that I've self-imposed <laughs> in coaching people and in living the life I'm living is that we, we need to consciously slow down some pace of life to be in that kind of inquiry about oneself. And that's the risk then. If we don't do that, then in the name of being authentic, um, we might be doing more harm than good. Yes. You know, because it comes to be used as almost a gate pass to to behave irresponsibly. That uh, I'm going to be myself. I'm going to be my true self. My true self right now is very angry. So it becomes a gate pass almost to uh, to just behave because that's the way I'm feeling right now. Um, I also sometimes see um, this behavior of this is who I am, take it or leave it. And that is in the name of being authentic. You know, this this is just who I am and take it or leave it. Um, and also then, you know, uh, if we don't do this inquiry, there is also the danger of never ever truly growing. You know, if we don't do this inquiry, there is this challenge between that growth does mean stepping into uncomfortable uh, situations. Growth comes from discomfort. And so if we don't understand authenticity fully, and we say, this is my true self, this is who I am, this is how I'm defining myself, then where is the opportunity for growth? And so somewhere the essential self also has to talk to the evolving self. And somewhere these two selves have to merge. You know, there has to be a relationship between them as well. Yeah, yeah. So also I'm compelled to, you know, bring a conversation to what authenticity means in the Indian socio-cultural context. Um, you know, you started out saying that um, in the West, um, it's seen almost as a virtue, but in, in our experience of life lived here in India, what is it like? Um, and, and to, you know, sometimes local language is much more revealing. So here are some expressions we have in Hindi. Hathi ki daant khane ki or the khane ki or. You know, we have this, from, I think from some old song, um, I remember these words, surat, sirat, fitrat, where there's a very clear distinction drawn between different aspects of who one can be. Um, there's also, you know, more, you know, usage words like dikhava and bolne ki baatein and, and dhongi. So, so I think the, the concepts of authenticity and inauthenticity are definitely there in the cultural mix of what we live here. But if, if I, you know, start examining the way these words like dikhava or bolne ki baatein are used, I mean, they do have a judgmental tone to them. But 
within that also I think a certain allowance is being made that yes this is how people show up sometimes yeah I'm really intrigued by this uh, this interpretation and this nuance this cultural nuance Vivek that you are offering to uh, this conversation about in the Indian context our culture allows for um, or makes uh, there, there is a sense of reality around the concept of authenticity in our culture. It allows for the fact that there is a social self and that social self has to be molded uh, depending on the situation. Yeah, I think in the last couple of decades, the word authenticity has been perhaps imported into a culture, but but yes, I think in, in our longer range of cultural living, um, like, you know, we've just commented that we make allowance for this. And sometimes, you know, things are said for the sake of custom, which doesn't make one inauthentic. Yeah, I think um, the word immature has a much sharper whip than the word inauthentic in, in the Indian context, where immature means that you know one doesn't really get how to make things work in this world. From my lived experience of our culture, I can see that worldly wisdom and being streetwise is perhaps given more weightage than being your true self. With both of us having said that, okay, authenticity is more of a Western concept, although its presence is recognized even in India, uh, worldly wisdom, being streetwise in our lived sense of our world here in India, that's probably more important uh, than authenticity is considered, especially the, the use of the phrases like dhongi, hathi ke dant, dikhane ke or, khane ke or, you know, and um, those were very poignant phrases that you used to kind of convey the cultural nuance to this. So in amidst that, why would authenticity still matter? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's that's very important as a question. Um, and I'm going to link this with identity. Um, so identity is our sense of ourself, who we take ourselves to be. Mm. And uh, there are various, you know, forms of that. So for an adult person, um, identity can be linked to who they are in their profession. It can also be, let's say, the political worldview. But there are other identities which can be set at birth and evolve at a more formative age. For example, um, gender as an identity, sexual orientation as an identity. If you're a minority, that itself as an identity, let's say your religion as an identity. When any such construct of identity is at conflict with the world or let me not say conflict when when one's sense of identity is being contested with the world's um, sense of that same identity so you know for example um, in being a woman someone as a woman may have a certain sense of their self and let's say if they don't live in a big urban city or even in a big urban city that sense of womanhood can be contested. And when this kind of contest happened with the way the world is trying to shape us, authenticity 
becomes the prism through which everything is looked at. Mm. So that person whose identity is being contested will want to be authentic um, in every way and will, in whatever they're speaking or doing or being, they want to bring up their, their own sense of self, their own sense of identity in how they show up. And it becomes terribly important to not betray or abandon this sense of self. Hmm. I'm really keen to understand uh, what you said, betray or abandon this sense of self. But I think listening to you, I could see of my life where, where that has happened. And I can see that how in my fundamental identity being provoked, I wanted to hold on to something essential within me in those times. Um, a, a very personal, emotional example for me is uh, growing up in a Punjabi household, uh, being the oldest um, of the four siblings, being a girl, then having two more sisters, and witnessing my family, my mother, my grandmother, crave and strive for a heir to the family, the boy who's going to come and live the legacy of the family. And my mother went through a lot just to have a, a, a son. And uh, in witnessing that, my identity as a girl was contested. In witnessing that, the values of justice and fairness became really apparent to me. I didn't know the words justice and fairness at the time. I was 13 when my brother was born. Um, I didn't know these words so well. I didn't know them so intimately. But somewhere in confronting this cultural aspect of preference for a son, preference for a boy, my identity as a girl was constantly contested. Since then, justice and fairness um, have been really important aspects of my personality and who I am essentially. And every time the, the gender identity is contested, there is the need to consolidate and protect that identity. Yeah, yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I must say you're very generous in sharing your personal story. Um, and also I think you're very skillful in the way you talked about it. And it speaks beautifully to how any such um, contest which we, which rages within us because of the way the world is around us, then leaves an imprint and into your question of what abandonment might mean is is when people don't even have the wherewithal to do something with that imprint with the memory of mm -hmm. all of that contest mm -hmm. and then they keep finding opportunities to to bring that essential self of theirs more as a lived aspect of who they are What's coming up for me, Vivek, is that how, how this essential self has continued to evolve as well. So the, the woman in me who would, you know, um, want to rebel in the name of justice and fairness at every opportunity in her 20s, who then gave that rebellion a different expression in her 30s, and now in my 40s, there is a different way that that essential self is beginning to express itself. 
where I still hold on to justice, fairness, beauty, aesthetics as values, but I want to use the, the form of dialogue, empathy, human connection as a way to express those values, as a way to make them come to life, as opposed to in the 20s and 30s where I just could stand up on the rooftop and be you know, campaigning for these values in a, in a way that had no regard for the world around me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that that's a wonderful articulation of of the fact that though we've defined essential and evolving self, it doesn't mean that they are disparate. Um, they, they there is an overlap and they do feed into each other. Like you know, you just said that in who you were in your twenties and the way it was showing up is different from how you've evolved later on and some more nuance comes in. Yeah. The, the metaphor that comes to my mind is perhaps we could think of ourselves as a moldable clay ball, which has a core, but then we continue to mold the ball itself. Yes. But the core also remains, you know, and we continue to shape that the mold of us into consciously, you know, that's the learning and development uh, that happens. Um, Yes, yeah. yes. So yes, one has to continue to be a student of oneself and learning how this ball is evolving and what exactly. the is becoming. Yeah, to, to summarize our, our um, exploration of this idea of being authentic, I have uh, two responses. Um, one is we perhaps need to shift the question from am I being authentic to who am I? And it's not so much about finding the grand final answer to that question, but I think the value is in holding the question itself. Hmm. And, and it requires that we remain curious about ourselves, which is what you say, being student of oneself. You know, you're, you're studying yourself as a subject. And so that's a philosophical response that I have to the question of what does it mean to be authentic, which is to to live the question of who am I. A practical response is, uh, you know, something that people can take away from this conversation, almost like a practice, is to know that, you know, we have a genetic code, we have our cultural heritage, we have our own lived lives. And through, through all of that, we have amassed a, a wealth of inherent wisdom. So a good practice for for people and for ourselves as well, Vivek, is to continue to identify some core features of that identity that you talked about. You know, what is my identity? What are some core features of that identity? And reflecting on those aspects. And also reflecting on some critical moments of your life. You know, just the example I gave, some critical moments, some moments of crisis, moments of loss, moments of um, great exuberance. You know, to, to reflect on those, those critical moments and remember, who were you being there? What was there for you at that time? And so those questions will unearth some of the key aspects of that identity. And so I think um, you can begin to articulate some core values that you hold. And by values, I don't mean your morality. Um, by values, I mean things that are really important to you. And no matter what the situation might be, irrespective of what the circumstances are, those are some things, core things that you'd like to hold on to. 
So then authenticity doesn't become this, today I'm feeling angry, so being authentic means just expressing that. I'm just going to be myself. You know, in spite of the shifting sands of our experience, everyday life is a shifting sand of experience, there are these things that are important to you and you would like to show up with those things in the world no matter what. But to also hold these values, not to stubbornly, slightly tentatively, and continue to reflect on them and continue to revise them with, with experience. And you know, that's a quality of a developed and an evolved mind. An evolved mind can hold contradictions, can hold paradoxes, can hold duality. And so whilst you're holding on to these values and you want to express yourself in the world with those values, but also to hold them maybe slightly tenderly, slightly tentatively, and with your evolving experience, continue to question them and revise them uh, in response to the unfolding story of your life. So I, I think that would be a good way to summarize what it might mean to be authentic. Vivek, do you want to weigh in, say something to that? No, that, that's a wonderful summary. You know, you, you've, you've articulated um, what authenticity can mean for us and what are ways to step into our authenticity and how to be in touch and be curious about uh, how we keep evolving and um, to connect this to presence when we are being this way um, in contact with our authentic self um, it shows through in our presence and people are inspired by that yeah and i'm tempted to also ask the question just to wind up um, what's the felt sense of being authentic you know what is the impact of that on how life progresses. You know, so when you're being fair and just, um, what's the ultimate felt sense of that? There's definitely greater self-confidence. And I think it's, it's the feeling of being redeemed. Yeah. There is self-confidence, there is a sense of self that this is how I want to show up in the world. And when I show up true to those values, there is this self-confidence that is getting fueled. Um, but at the same time, it's a liberating and a redeeming experience. Yes, yes. Um, so, I think we, we've had a useful discussion on authenticity. Let's attempt to um, have some useful comments and presence also. So, you know, we said that um, being more authentic leads to deeper presence. Mm. What are some other ways to start talking about presence? Good question. Vivek, my, another part of my identity is to challenge the status quo. And I think the way I want to frame the, the challenge of the way leadership presence is being articulated and defined in the corporate world, or even generally, is it's almost like having a certain charisma. That's, the, that's come to be the popular understanding of the word uh, or, or the construct of leadership presence. It's like, can you help this leader be more charismatic or have a more charismatic personality so that they can uh, influence people, attract them, um, and you know, be these glamorous leaders who people would like to follow. Um, people come with ambitions like, I'd like to be the... I'd like to be like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. Um, you know, in, in India, we have we have good examples of Ratan Tata, Anand Mahindra, each of whom have uh, you know weighty uh, personalities. And so, I think what we would might need to do in this discussion, Vivek, is to deconstruct that and go beyond that commonly held understanding of presence being me, meaning being more charismatic and having this um, magnetic and dynamic personality that's going to attract followership. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Um, I think um, when we get these coaching requests 
that someone needs to work on their presence, it, it, it is couched in the expectation that that particular coachee should become a version of someone, you know, who's charismatic or has a whole lot of razzle-dazzle. Um, and presence isn't about becoming somebody else. Um, I think it's also useful to draw a distinction between presence and presenting. Yeah, what, what might you say that distinction is, Vivek? You know, so, so there are famous and accomplished people. Uh, you just mentioned Ratan Tata and Anand Mahindra. And I think that there is definite value in embodying and attempting their way of being. Mm. Um, especially, you know, if you're still figuring yourself out. Mm. You know, so, so to learn the ropes, uh, imitation is a great way to start. Yeah, but that's exactly. not presence. Yeah, um, that's, that's not presence, yeah. Also, I think in, in the corporate context, um, presence can also be a way to couch the expectation of fitting in, that you mm -hmm. want someone to show up in a particular way which is blessed by the organization, <laughs> um, which is again not presence. It, it, it is useful, it, there is tremendous social value in yeah. fitting in, but it is not presence. Mm. In fact, presence can be defined as what shows through despite any and all efforts at presenting in a particular way. Vivek, you could say that again. Yes, yeah, so presence is what shows through despite any and all efforts at presenting in a particular way. Yeah, I think a good example is, you know, when somebody is trying to present something very confidently and yet it becomes so apparent and so clear that they might be nervous. There is a shudder in their voice. You can see there is a bit of shakiness to their hands. And you can also see that they are trying really hard to come across as very confident and knowledgeable. And, you know, yet the nervousness is palpable. Yes, yes. So, you know, the nervousness shows through. And in other circumstances, um, somebody's obvious brilliance may show through, even if they are trying to toe a very narrowly defined line. Yes. Um, we can't hide somebody's presence. It is what's essentially there on them. It's um, there. You like it or not, it's there. Um, yes. So um, I'm also you know, tempted to uh, comment on you know, when, when presence is equated to becoming like some other famous person. Mm. Because let's say you know, Steve Jobs became Steve Jobs, but Steve Jobs became who he is in the context and environment in which he was living. You know, he yeah. was a product of a particular time and age. Hmm. And, and, you know, that's, that, that can't be replicated entirely. Yes. It's, it's great to draw inspiration and then see what is the material I have to work in in the life that I am living. Yeah. And that is all honoring the uniqueness of our life and our circumstances. Yes. You know, what I said about you, we all have a genetic code, we all have our cultural heritage, we all have our own lived experience. And that's the ball of clay you've been given to shape yourself from. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, so as, as coaches, um, what is our, um, our, our method, our recommendation on how people can work on their presence? Hmm. And, you know, the, the way I encounter some of the conversations where if I, you know, if someone's being told, well, just be more present, you know, just, just focus on your presence and show up, you know, being more present. Um, I think th these kind of statements don't help as much. If you look at the mathematical reverse, so presence is equal to not having absence. Mm -hmm. And if we look at it that way, it's much more possible and much more compelling to work with the 
construct of absence. Um, mm-hmm. So if, you know, if one were to ask, what happens when I'm absenting myself? So I know myself to be a certain kind of person under most circumstances, but when let's say I'm under pressure or, or any other kind of special situation, something about me changes, something about me becomes absent. Mm-hmm. So, so to become curious about what is there and how come that's happening? And is there mm-hmm. a way we can take care of that absence? Mm. How's that as a method to work with presence? I think again, Vivek, you are uh, conveying your practitioner skill uh, that's coming across really well in the way you've defined this because it's opening an access for people. I mean, it's opening an access for me. What a powerful question to ask myself. Um, What a powerful practice to hold for daily living is to reflect on where am I absenting myself? Because that's where my presence is not consciously coming through although like we've discussed people are noticing it nevertheless yeah you know they they are that's going to be conveyed nevertheless but it's a the way you've defined presence is that um it's the mathematical precision with which you have defined it um which is that where you are present you are not absent so to bring more presence you might need to look at where are you absent yeah, yeah. So you've been already very generous with examples today. Do you have a <laughs> personal story about your own absence in some circumstances? Yes, that's also part of my authentic self, Vivek. I'm uh, um, very generous with personal stories. Um, I, I think when I ask myself this question, where do I absent myself? Um, I think in circumstances, in situations where I have somehow decided that the, I am less than the people around me right now. In any circumstance, in any social situation where I'm feeling dominated by somebody else's superiority on things that are important to me, I become absent there. I'm no longer present. What's present there is wanting to prove my worth. What's present present there is wanting to prove that I deserve a seat on this table. And so only if I prove that I am equal to you um, in some way, in some measure, can I be on the same table as these people. And that's where there is no Ginny present. What's present is a person who's just trying so hard to prove her worth. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think um, that, that's so well articulated. Um, and I think that this happens to, to several people, uh, including me, um, that at times we feel that our intelligence is being eclipsed by somebody who's perceived by us to be more intelligent in the room. Yes. And then instead of just letting our intelligence shine through, we go into the efforting of wanting to prove ourselves, wanting to claim our merit. Yes. And and that efforting then makes us less presence, present. I'm confusing yeah. these, these words. Let me say that more clearly. <laughs> that efforting has us be less present to our already essential intelligence. Yes. Yes, I think the, if I can take a more uh, scientific perspective uh, or lens here, um, in, you know, we are no longer uh, hunter-gatherers, but our, our genes, our you know, fundamental structure remains more or less the same as the hunter-gatherers, which is we are primarily motivated by um, fight or flight. Uh, we are primarily still motivate, motivated by survival. And when we are in situations where our identity is threatened um, in ways that we have perceived it to be 
our moments where we are absenting ourselves, our moments that we are so uh, so wrapped up in survival at that time, in preserving ourselves, in somehow, you know, um, proving our metal and worth, that we have lost our sense of peace and equanimity there. Yeah. yeah I think, and, and that is the common thread between authenticity and presence. Whenever our sense of identity, who we take ourselves to be, starts getting questioned or contested, uh, something happens to us and we get thrown off our best game. Exactly. And that's where um, um, somebody with a learner's attitude, um, that's where coaching, coaches help in those areas tremendously. For one, two, and, and you know, you can't go to a training program and learn this. You can't go to, you can't read a self-help book and learn this. This is, this is where I'm making the link with coaching because that's the lens we are using to view the human condition. Um, that's what um, a coach would help you see. What are those situations where you end up fighting for survival, um, where you begin to absent yourself, where your identity is being contested and questioned? And if you don't know what that fundamental identity is, if you don't know what are those core features of who you are, and um, then, then you can't bring those to bear in that situation, then something unconscious will happen. You will absent yourself and you will... Uh, fumble, you will um, not be at your wholesome self at that time. Yeah. And that, that is the link between authenticity and presence. Yeah, and that's a great articulation of the coaching offer around these concepts. Yes. So I think the practice that I'm inviting our listeners to take on, the practice that I'm really inclined to take on um, and you know bring it to my everyday life is to um, ask the question of where am I absent? In what ways am I absent? You know, where, where is my identity feeling like it cannot express itself? Um, and so all of these are throwing up a lot of material for, for me, personally for me. So I think a practice for people to ask that question can be a very powerful practice to live from. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for defining that so clearly. Um, and as we um, move towards concluding this conversation, I also want to... Um, offer a practice, and that is um, around our, our emergence. Um, so you know, we've talked about how we keep evolving, and that's similar to um, how we keep emerging. Um, emergence is, is a term which is more used in the coaching lingo. So mm -hmm. with keeping both authenticity and presence in mind, it'd be super useful to both tend to this emergence, which means be, be tender and, and care about it and notice it and curious be curious about what is emerging about just who we are. Mm. And also, to a certain degree that is possible, risk your own emergence. Um, there, is, there may be a degree of threat in that word risk for some people, but mm -hmm. unless we risk ourselves and risk our newly emergent self, um, we're not fully stepping into life. So yeah, please uh, tend to your own emergence and also risk your own emergence. Yeah, Vivek, you know, I find in, in self-coaching and in coaching others, you know, to sometimes leave people with and leave myself with an, an anchoring phrase that succinctly condenses the whole conversation into uh, something short and pithy. Um, and I think this phrase, risk emergence or risk your emergence, can be that condensation of the conversation we've had for the last hour. 
uh, it can be that condensed learning to take from all of this yeah. uh, is risk your emergence as as you are evolving as your core self and evolving self your essential self and evolving self are in conversation with each other as you are um, grappling with the story of your own self um, to risk that emergence yeah yeah and, and just as you know i sort of flavor this phrase risking one's emergence it has both the sense of like a tingling anticipation of what could happen and also it's it inspires one to be somewhat more courageous to to go and live one's life absolutely and that's what we really intend to be doing vivek you know to liberate ourselves of notions that have come to become um, the, the way we have chained ourselves and somehow these notions of what it means to be authentic and what it means to have leadership presence i was noticing and listening to it in the in the the, the ether of the corporate conversations and i was i was thinking that you know we are, we are chaining ourselves with these notions that i have to be authentic i have to have leadership presence but in the phrase of risk your emergence um and the the, the courage that it provokes is where we are truly offering liberation from these ideas the buzz of it to be able to understand them deeply and then to be able to apply take these powerful practices in your life and liberate yourself from the the commonly held perceptions of these and like you said risk your emergence yes well thank you that was a very um, heartfelt and inspiring conversation with you and i thank hope you, our vivek. listeners will get something useful out of it yeah thank you vivek thank you for inspiring these conversations and i really want to thank you for the precision with which you articulate some very fuzzy topics around the condition of being human these conversations are making a huge personal difference even to my own life and my own thinking and my own development and my own identity as a coach so thank you for these conversations well i'm glad yet yeah, and it, it's wonderful to hear that and um it means a whole lot to me um and also let me let me say that um any such such precision or or you know intelligence comes through when it is held in a space where it can emerge it can risk its emergence and jenny i think you you do that beautifully um conversations happen because of the people who are in it and something magical gets enabled so i'm i'm glad to be doing this with you thank you vivek it's great to hear that okay so um so thank you listeners um and we'd love to um hear back from you yes i would love to get i would love to get some inputs into how people have received and processed this conversation mm-hmm.